uh, church marriage retreat, Jimmy Williamson asked me a question at the last Q&A. It's okay. You don't have to look nervous. Um, Basically, he said, as our pastor, is there anything you're seeing in the marriages in the church that concern you or you just want to talk to us about? That was a good question, and I had some things on my mind. Can I be honest with you and tell you that I wish someone would ask me that question again? But I wish they would ask it more broadly. I wish someone would ask me and say, BJ, as our pastor, as you've been shepherding the flock, are there things you're seeing that you want to talk to us about? As you've been ministering as our shepherd, are there general concerns that you have for us? Are there things you think we need to hear as a church. Now, no one's asked me that question, but I'm going to pretend like you have. And I want to speak a fatherly, pastoral word to you this morning. And what I want to do for you this morning is I want to frame your expectations about what the Christian life should look like. And I don't just want to do it so that you understand it. I want to do it so that you live it. I am not interested in you walking away merely understanding more about the Christian life. I am interested in you leaning into the Christian life, posturing yourself, pursuing growth and progress in the Christian life. And let me say to you this morning, we all need this word to the spiritually dull. You need this, that you might feel the greatness of God. To the spiritually fruitful, you need this, that you might bear more fruit. To the spiritually immature, You need this so that you might grow to the spiritually sluggish. You need this so that you might get to work to the spiritually ensnared. You need this that you might be free of your chains and finally to the spiritually dead. You need this that you might have life. So what should the Christian life look like? Here's what I want to persuade you of this morning. While salvation is all of grace, it is also a lifetime of holy effort and growth. This is a different sermon than sermons that we normally preach here at Redeeming Grace Church. If you're a visitor here with us, our typical habit is to walk through books of the Bible together And we're going to do that again, but also at the beginning of each year, we find it helpful to just do a reset. And so today, I'm going to preach to you. Next Sunday, Eric is going to preach for you, and then we're going to get back into Corinthians. And so today, I'd actually invite you to open up your bulletin, because that's going to help you follow along and see where where we are in the sermon. And what I want to start with is the first point, that salvation is all of grace. So... Christian, non-Christian, everyone, please hear me. The first thing you need to know about the Christian life 
is that salvation is all of grace. And what I mean when I say that is that salvation is not something we earn. It is not something that we show ourselves worthy of or work hard to get. Salvation is not like the American dream. You know the American dream. It says, it says, do your best, work hard, and you can achieve success, whatever that looks like for you. Salvation, acceptance with God and friendship with God, is not like that. And so I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Ephesians is the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to read in verses 1 through 9. Read with me. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is the autobiography of every single Christian. So look at what you were. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, spiritually unable to please and honor God. You were following the course of the world. You were following the course of this world, living not according to God's word, but according to the expectations of the world around you. You were living in the passions of the flesh, the text says. What fired your ambitions and directed your actions were your own unruly passions, not the glory of God. You were by nature a child of wrath. Your destiny was eternity in hell. But look at what God has done. Verse 4. But God. Now notice, it does not say, but you. You are not the one who rectifies this situation. God is. And notice what he does. What does he do? In his mercy, because of his great love, even when you were spiritually dead, dark, and in a damnable state... He made you alive in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised you up with Him and seated you with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward you in Christ Jesus. What God has done is give us life. Spiritual life. 
new birth life. We were dead, but we are now alive. He made us alive, the text says. And what's more, he raised us up and seated us with Christ. It's it's like, in a sense, we are already exalted with Jesus in some sense. So, So no condemnation in hell... We are seated with Jesus in heaven. Our seats at the banquet table of heaven are already there with our names on them. It's like the table is already set. And if you could see it, you would see reserved for BJ. Reserved for John. Reserved for Jen and Louise and Dave and Kenny. He has done this. Not us. Him. And this is all by His grace. By grace you have been saved. And this is all in Christ. We have been raised in Christ. In the coming ages, God will show the riches of His kindness to us in Christ. So Christian, hear me. Your spiritual autobiography says this. It's very short. I was dead, but God gave me life through Jesus. I deserved hell, but God gave me heaven through Jesus. And remember how you laid hold of this. Because this offer is there for anyone. How did you lay hold of it? You laid hold of it by faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God in His grace caused you to hear the gospel. God in His grace caused you to hear the truth that he sent Jesus to pay the price for your sin and that all who turn from their sin in repentance and faith will be forgiven. You heard that message. And whether it was the first time or the 40th time or the 400th time, you heard it and you finally believed for yourself. You heard it and you finally took it for your own. You heard it and you finally said, I will have this. This is mine. Jesus died for sinners, yes, but Jesus died more for sinners. He died for me. Jesus offers me life and I will take it. Jesus says, if I leave my sin, I will leave my sin. I am happy to leave my sin. My sin stinks, and I need, and I want, and I will have Jesus. At some point, if you're a Christian, you did that. And as simple as that, and as final as that, you went from death to life. You went from being a child of wrath to a child of the king. Now, you may not know exactly when that happened. That's fine. But you know a season of time, at least. During this window of time, 
This is when I truly believed. Now there are some of you here this morning who are not in Christ. And to you, what I want to say is the offer of forgiveness and life is for you this morning if you will believe. Why? Please hear me. Why just hear about Jesus this morning? Why not receive Jesus this morning? Why just hear about life and forgiveness and eternity this morning? Why not take it for yourself this morning? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The only difference between you and your Christian sibling or your Christian parents or your Christian friend or your Christian co-worker is that they have taken Christ for themselves and you have not taken Christ for yourself. Take him for yourself. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have life, and I will raise Him up the last day. Amen. But now, where do we go from here? What happens after we're born again? What happens after we savingly place our trust in Jesus Christ and have new life? This is where most of us find ourselves this morning. We've entered the heavenly race by trusting in Christ. We've not yet reached the end because we're here. And so as we look at the new year, as we look at the year after that, as we look at our lives, what do we look for? What do we expect? What does God say? should characterize our lives. It's this. A lifetime of holy effort and growth. A lifetime of holy effort and growth. Here's a burden that I have this morning. My burden is that some of you seem not to take seriously what the New Testament says should mark your life. And so let's just get to it. What should mark your life? Let's just walk through it. I've tried to to split this up in a way that makes it digestible and not just like a kitchen sink. (laughs) Just making sure you're still awake. I know Matt is, but I don't know about the others, so I'm just checking. May God give us ears to hear. First, concerning your sin. The Bible calls you to lay aside and crucify it. Concerning your sin, the Bible calls you to lay aside and crucify it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely... And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Hebrews 12.1 The writer of Hebrews compares the Christian life to a race. You might think about a marathon. And do you know what he has no category for? What he has no category in his mind for is running the race weighed down with sin. Just think about this with me. Imagine running a marathon, dragging two 45-pound plates behind you. Friends, do you think you would finish? No. That's the point. 
You, you can't run the Christian life weighed down with sin. You must lay it aside. Galatians gets even more pointed. Listen to chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So this isn't an exhaustive list. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul says Christians must crucify the flesh. That is saying nothing more, friends, that that you have to put your sin to death. Think about that. Put your sin to death. God doesn't say bruise it. He doesn't say injure it. He doesn't say contain it, minimize it. He says kill it. He says strangle it until it doesn't have any more life left in it. This is kind of brutal stuff. And it's hard stuff. Because I don't know about your sin, but my sin doesn't want to die. It seems to have a will to live on its own. And sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't want our sin to die. And so it takes work. And we can do it. It may not feel like it, but God assures us that with the power and presence of His Holy Spirit, we will overcome it. Sin will not have dominion over us, but it is not automatic. And it is not often easy. And I wonder if just that simple truth is what thing you need to embrace this morning. Christian, that sin that you're flirting with or are ensnared by or don't care about because it seems little or aren't convinced that it's even really a problem even though brothers and sisters are pleading with you and saying that it is Friends, you need to repent of that sin. You need to come to the cross afresh and confess your sin and bathe in the light of the gospel and the forgiveness that is yours in Jesus Christ and then you need to leave it. Leave it. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Now you're going to have to do that again. And you're going to keep doing that. And as you keep doing that, what you're going to find is that sin's influence and sin's power and sin's pull is going to decrease over time. It will. It will. And this connects to what I want to say next. Your dealings with sin are going to be helped by another truth about the Christian life. And that truth is this. When Paul describes the Christian life in general, he uses verbs 
like train, run, and discipline. Speaking to Timothy and by extension every Christian, Paul says, Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Now, when he says train, he's using a word for workout. Workout, like gym, like cardio, like strength, like go to the gym and hit it. Now, he actually doesn't mean physically. He means spiritually. Because verse 8, he says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise both in the present life and also for the life to come. Spiritual health and vitality comes through training. If we would desire a high degree of physical health and vitality, we must enter a training regimen. We must watch what we eat. So instead of a diet of gummy bears and cookies, we must be careful to manage our nutrition, right? And then what we have to do is we have to work out. Before we head to work or before the kids get up, we have to hit the gym for strength and cardio. Paul says, hey, you know what? That's fine. That's of some value. But what's truly valuable is godliness, character and instincts and priorities and desires that are Christ-like and bring honor to God. These things are truly valuable because they hold promise not only for the present life, but for the life to come. Ask yourself, do you want to make wise decisions? Then you need godliness. Do you want instincts that are less inclined to sin? Then you need godliness. Do you want more love and affection for Jesus because you feel apathetic and dull and a bit cold, then you need godliness. Do you want to know that heaven is yours? Then you need godliness. And godliness comes through training. And so what's your diet? Your music diet. Your TV diet. Your social media diet. Your conversation diet. Are you living on the spiritual equivalent of gummy bears and cookies? How can you expect to develop godliness with that kind of a spiritual diet? And what's your workout regimen? Consistent time in the Word. Reading, meditating, memorizing is working out spiritually. Consistent time in prayer, individually and with brothers and sisters, is working out spiritually. Of course, Sunday morning worship is working out. Of course, home group is working out. So too is any opportunity you take to love and serve others. That is working out. What's your workout regimen? Now, here's truth. We live in a world that is fanatical about health and wellness. So much so that a few sermons back, Brad felt the need to exhort us that God wants us to be holy, not keto. I really like that line. That exhortation, though, the fact that it makes sense, makes sense to us because the culture we live in is so excited and so ready to work 24-7. 
towards the religion of wellness. Listen, Christians should be excited and ready to work for godliness. And when I say ready to work, I mean really work. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to obtain a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Listen, Christians should be serious about training for godliness. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. Athletes discipline themselves in all things. Athletes give themselves to rigorous training so that they can win a prize that will perish like a gold medal. I recently read an article highlighting Michael Phelps' training regimen for the Olympics. You know what the guy's life looked like? Three things. Eating, swimming, sleeping, the end. Seriously. All that the guy did were those things. He ate an insane amount of food in preparation for whatever workout he was about to do next. And then when he wasn't lifting or swimming, he was resting or sleeping. Every aspect of his life totally revolved around that gold medal. Brothers and sisters, Paul says that's an example for every Christian. We are spiritual athletes running a race that ends in a heavenly crown that will never fade away. If Olympic athletes orient their lives around the pursuit of a gold medal, if Olympic athletes dedicate themselves to training and pursuit of a gold medal, How much more should we, given that our prize is the crown of life? How strange would it be if an Olympic athlete was out of shape, unhealthy, and couldn't care less about it? That would be whack. Super strange whack, like unicorn whack, okay? That should be the same with us. Brothers and sisters, we should be spiritually fit and growing fitter. Increasing in godliness and diligently, dedicatedly, and joyfully working unto that end. Please hear me. It should be strange for a Christian not to be doing that. It should be strange for a Christian not to be doing that. Because we're running for a prize. And that's the next point. The Christian life is a forward-looking, forward-anticipating life. So in between our conversion and before the consummation, we are fixated on what's to come and working to lay hold of what's to come. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. In context, fleeing these things is just anything that's not in accord with godliness, okay? But you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, 
take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Did you, did you just hear what Paul said? Speaking to Christians, he speaks of eternal life as something we're to take hold of. Now, please don't misunderstand. Paul is not communicating in any way that we somehow earn eternal life. That's ridiculous and not his point. But he is wanting to communicate that having become a Christian, we live in such a way that we are aching for eternity, longing for eternity, working for the good of our souls in eternity. And he says something similar in Philippians 3. He just got done talking about the resurrection in Philippians 3 and how he longs to take part in it. And then he says this, not that I have already obtained or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. So, to those of us who have been taken hold of by the gospel, to those of us whom Jesus Christ has taken for himself, to those of us who are in faith, the outflow of that, the result of that is a lifetime of longing and living in pursuit of eternity. We press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I like dogs. You know that. Do you know what a dog loves? Treats. Dogs love treats. You dangle a treat in front of a dog, and all of a sudden, in that little doggy's world, everything else becomes background noise, right? Suddenly, the dog's whole existence, their whole universe revolves around the expectation, anticipation, and desire to do whatever is needed in order to receive said treat in front of them. You're like, that sounds like my kids. Okay, cool. Um, that's kind of like us with eternal life. When we become a Christian, eternal life with Christ becomes the overall animating desire of our hearts. Other things become background noise. Other things fade away. Now, we are more complicated than dogs, so guess what? It's not automatic that we are laser-focused on this. So we've got to do work to keep it in the foreground. We've got to remember, this is what we're pursuing. This is where we're headed. Lesser things are lesser things. I want this. And do you know one way that you can keep eternity in view? One way you can keep eternity in view is being clear on your mission. What's your mission as a Christian? It's to make disciples. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So just hear me. Do you feel sluggish in the heavenly race? Do you feel unexcited about the things of God? It may be because you're off mission. Brothers and sisters, there are a few things more exciting and more encouraging and more eternity-focusing as being in the game evangelistically, of, of turning that conversation to the gospel, of inviting that friend to church and then they come, of praying for the kids and parents on the soccer team and bringing Awana invite cards and handing them to your kiddo and he or she starts handing them out in practice. Sitting down in an evangelistic Bible study. It is exciting to be on mission for Jesus and God designed it to be that way. And if you are unexcited, sluggish, and apathetic for the things of God, maybe it's because you're not engaged in that mission. Let me see if I can summarize the thrust of the picture I'm, I'm trying to paint about the Christian life after conversion and before the new heavens and the new earth. If I had to summarize it in just one phrase, it would be this. Make every effort. I don't want you to turn to 1 Peter 1, 2 Peter 1, excuse me, but would you just listen to it as I read? 2 Peter 1, it says this. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Savior, Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us unto His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he has been cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these things, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Make every effort. Be all the more diligent. This is the Christian life. And so this is where we need to turn the mirror of God's word toward ourselves 
And we just need to look at ourselves and we need to ask, is this my life? Concerning my sin, am I laying it aside? Am I crucifying it? Concerning my life in general, am I training and running and disciplining myself? Concerning my goal, am I living to take hold of eternal life? Concerning my mission, am I on mission? Is it Christ's mission? Am I making every effort? Do these things characterize me? Now, they characterize none of us perfectly, that's for sure. But in general, do these things characterize you? If they don't, it may be the case that you're actually not converted. So please be clear. The fact that you come to this church, have made a confession of faith, have been baptized and are a member, none of these things ensures that you're converted. If these things don't characterize your life, I fear you actually may not be born again. There are frightful passages in Scripture, brothers and sisters, like Matthew chapter 7, that make it clear that not all those who think they're Christians are in fact Christians. There will be a coming day when many are shocked when Jesus says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Friend, I do not want that to be you. And so I am asking you to be honest with yourself this morning. Have you been born again? Are you spiritually alive? The evidence for it is not simply the confession of faith you've made. It's whether your life is increasingly looking like this blueprint. Is your life increasingly looking like this blueprint? If not, then I fear for you, and you should fear for you, and you should go to God. You should go to God right now after the service. It would bring my heart great joy if I saw some of you run to your car to get alone and cry out in prayer where no one could hear you and work, ask Him to work in your heart. It would give me great joy if one of you should find me or another elder afterwards and you should say to us, help me, I am not sure of my spiritual state. Now, I am not trying to create spiritual navel-gazing. I say this because the worst thing to do for someone who's actually not born again is to try to live out the Christian life. You can't do it. (laughs) And you're going to be miserable as you try because you're going to try to walk in the Spirit not having the Spirit. If you try to pursue godliness, but deep down the Spirit of God hasn't made you godly, it's just not going to work. And so what you need to do is go to Jesus Christ and be saved. Trust Him. For his promise of salvation. Believe him 
for his promise of salvation. Grab hold of him and don't let him go until he blesses you with salvation. Get desperate. Now to my brothers and sisters. I want to speak a different word to you. None of us should come out of this sermon thinking, man, I am killing it. (laughs) Hashtag winning. Yeah. Uh, That's just not how we are feeling. It's not how I was when I prepared this sermon. But I want you to do some real business with the Lord too. How strange would it be if you were to go to even a high school junior varsity race where nothing is really at stake and you were to see a track runner get into the blocks lazily and the gun fires and they take off at a meh pace and they just go at a meh pace and they don't really have any fire in their bones and they finish last and they say meh. You would think, what's wrong with that kid? How much more if we as Christians with heaven on the horizon are coming out of the blocks lazily and are running around the track with madness and aren't engaged in our spiritual discipleship? Something's wrong with us if that's the case. And so I want you to do business with the Lord. Philippians 2, Paul exhorts us to work out our salvation. And what he means by that is increasingly stepping into what the Christian life should look like. So let me just ask you, how are you doing? And again, none of us come out smelling like roses, but just ask yourself this. Where do I really need to do business with the Lord and am I committed to actually do it? Where do you need to do business with the Lord? Is it it time in His Word? Is that just kind of not on your radar? Other than hearing it here or maybe home group? Is it time in prayer? That one's always my struggle. And that one's where I need to work. Is that really not something that you do other than Maybe when we pray here, is it giving? I don't know what you give, but is your giving paltry? I I shudder to think, is there someone in the congregation who, who doesn't even give? You need to move forward in your giving. Is it mission oriented? Are you really not engaged in the mission of Christ? Is it your marriage? That you're just perpetually where you are and you don't really engage the process? Is it something having to do with your kids and your family? Is it a relationship that's broken that that you're unwilling to, to move that ball forward in? And friends, let me just encourage you, please don't, 
if you have the tendency to think, are we bordering on legalism? Put that down. Put that down. We're talking about living our lives for the glory of God. Do you think that's going to be easy? We've got to put in some work. And so I'm just asking you, where do you need to put in the work? And are you willing to put in the work? Where do you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, in confidence because God is working in you both to will and to work according to His good pleasure? Wherever it is, brothers and sisters, put a stake in the ground and say, I'm going to move forward in this realm, this year. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to share it with my pastor. I'm going to share it with my associate pastor. I'm going to share it with my home group leader. I'm going to share it with my friends. And I'm going to ask for accountability and help. I'm going to move forward in this. Because God is great. Because salvation is all of grace, but it is also a lifetime of holy effort and growth. And not discouraging, depressing growth. Joyful, excited growth. This is how we flourish as Christians when we give ourselves to the work of progress in our faith. May God be merciful to us and may we all make progress in 2023. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask you for grace. We ask you for grace to grow in grace. We ask you for grace for us to put our hands to the plow and to work. Because this is a wonderful, incredible, glorious task that we have been given. And so, Lord, please work for your glory and for our good. And we ask it in Jesus' name.